Hey, everybody, welcome back to the Matt Report in between seasons uh, four and five. So, of course, many of you have been following along. You can get season four at mattreport.com slash season four. That's the entire 10 episodes of that season. It was, an, it was a great season. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to season five. I've sort of been teasing it a little bit. Uh, it's got an interesting twist halfway through. We're going to uh, shake things up. Uh, but that's not that's not going to be revealed until we're, until we're in that season. Uh, but while we wait, while we wait for season five, one of my good friends, one of my uh, colleagues, uh, friend, somebody I look up to in the WordPress space, I almost consider him a mentor, a few degrees away. <laughs> I just sort of uh, look at the stuff that he's doing uh, and sort of say, boy, I, I would really like to do it that way too. Jake Goldman. Jake, welcome back to the program, sir. It's great to be here. Be careful, you're going to give me a big head before we get into yeah. questions. <laughs> yeah. Don't don't worry. We're going to talk about agency life, so then we're going to we're going to really Good. deflate both of our egos. Bring uh, me down. Bring me down. <laughs> um, so Jake, uh, for folks who don't know who you are uh, in the WordPress space, who are you and what do you do? You don't know who I am. <laughs> um, yeah. After that intro, uh, so right, so I'm the uh, president and founder of Ten Up, and we're uh, we're uh, predominantly a full service agency that focuses on making a better web for people creating content on the web um, with a sprinkling of products that also in tools, uh, open source and pay that further that vision of uh, helping content creators and uh, started 10 up about six years ago. And uh, now we're one of the, I guess, one of the larger, you would call it agencies that are focused on uh, WordPress as a platform in the community that are out there today. We may have chatted about this stuff before, but if we did, it was it was a few years ago. I guess I should have done my homework and looked at your last episode that you're on here. But I think it's probably been two years since you've been on the airwaves here. Um, wow. You know, I've I've seen a you know I've seen a lot of you know WordPress freelancers come and go, and they sort of start their business and they and they tried to make a go at it doing the small business website. You know, and, and for whatever reason, they, they just couldn't make it go, make a go at it. Uh, I've seen a lot of boutique agencies, uh, like myself included, sort of maybe maybe plateaus not the word, but sort of just stay the steady course uh, over the last few years in the WordPress space. If you are somebody who might be in that boutique position right now, you got a couple people that work for you, maybe a handful of freelancers off to the side. Are there any words of encouragement <laughs> to get uh, to sort of the bigger agency model? Like looking back at yourself, maybe five year, four or five years ago, uh, would you be able to tell yourself, you know, buckle down and get ready for this ride? And and if so, what is that in the agency world that maybe people just don't realize? There's a few things in there. I mean, I definitely did not expect when I started the company that I'd be sitting here talking to you this many years later at the scale that we're at now. I think. Most businesses that are doing so organically, I you know, I think, I think it's probably a bit of an exaggeration for anybody to say that they exactly plan their growth. I think you strike out at finding your place in the market, finding your customer base, finding your strategy, and I think most companies, the truth is, sometimes they touch the right nerve, sometimes they hit the right approach, the right strategy, the right customer base, the right lead sources, and are. You know, through a combination of hard work, but also luck and timing and positioning are fortunate to ride a very successful wave. Um, I think it is important for people to remember. I think it's easy to look at 10up and probably disingenuous to look at me and 10up and say, like, this guy, Jake, fell out of the sky on February 11th, 2011, and suddenly built this company overnight. The truth is I'd been working in agency consulting services, doing uh, doing agency services for the better part of... 10 years uh, before I started 10up the prior three years also you know working in CMSs that were open source like WordPress and Drupal and you know networking with and building relationships with people in our space so the truth is 10 up no February 2011 was the time that I started 10up but the truth is I had been building a network building relationships been doing consulting as a solo freelancer or sometimes outside of work as part of small businesses for a long time so I, I started 10up with a lot of rocket fuel uh, under me, a lot of relationships, a lot of contacts, a lot of insight into how to how to how to attack this kind of business, which is maybe my way of saying like it took me ten plus years to get to the point where I was ready to build ten up and was able to help this thing take off. And that you know, I guess if I want to be inspiring here, if you stay at it, if you continue to build those relationships, if you continue to build those networks, if you continue to think about where you can differentiate yourself in the market, it can happen to you too. 
uh, you know, it's, you fell out of the sky. You just happened to hit all the branches on the way down, right? Just sort of right. going through all the all the pain points. Uh, yes. People think people think it, it is just like this graceful landing. Right. You know, I'm just exactly. looking. I'm I'm just looking at the the blog post over on tenup.com. Uh, happy sixth birthday. And one of the first bullet points here is uh, from. Uh, what is, I believe, from the last company anniversary, we saw four clients' projects nominated for the Webby Best Internet Awards, uh, one one client taking home the gold, and three winning the People's Choice Award. I mean, just putting that into context, so many people think that, well, they see that and they go, well, I, I'll just... I'll just find the clients that will win the, you know, the the Webby Awards, or or they will have the projects that will actually put me in, in place of that. That's not a, you know, and I'm saying this sort of tug in cheek, like that's not a strategy some people should go with, but I know that it exists. But people say, well, I'll just I'll go after the clients that they go after, and maybe that'll help me achieve this sort of air quotes success in my agency. I mean, this wasn't a strategy. This just happened to you know happened to be something that you that you came across. Are there any sort of threads? that you can pull and say, here's how you find these types of good clients? Or is there a formula to crafting a better portfolio over the years? That's a good question. I will say a bit equally glibly, I was surprised as anybody else when we saw those award nominations. <laughs> um, it was not, that was, I mean, that obviously a little bit glib. Obviously, I'm really proud of the work we did on those sites, but there was no, we didn't go after those projects saying, oh, goody, the Webbies, which all of, you know, maybe a few hundred people who make websites care about, uh, um, you know, is the strategy here. And that's why we want to win this project. Um, you know, I think, you know, it's a good question. Um, I think that, you know, my strategy, I want to say, is one that's very, you know, the word organic comes to mind again, is very authentic in the sense that I really believe maybe to the point or maybe to the point of naivete of if you really put yourself into doing good work, to doing your best work, to being thoughtful, frankly, to not trying to take shortcuts, you'll get to that place. Um, I, you know, I've, I've always been, which I've encountered throughout my career. I've always been dubious of people that thought there was a shortcut to that kind of recognition or that kind of success, some way to just, uh, fast forward and have some secret sauce to just, you know, you know, jump all the way ahead, uh, to those kind of awards or those kind of accolades where I really think like when we talk about that falling and hitting all the branches on the way down my sort of 10 year trajectory, before starting 10 up, which then in and of itself probably took a couple of, you know, took a few years to get to that uh, place and get to that position. It came from just really trying to do good work, genuinely trying to help people, knowing that it's a slow burn to those kind of relationships and those kind of deals. And I, I, I don't really think there's some magic shortcut other than genuinely showing up every day and be willing to doing your best work. Um, right, all right. the way back to, you know, my first projects, I, you know, I, I could laugh in retrospect at what I sold, you know, my first consulting project budgets for and the types of customers I was working with, you know, at the time, but you start somewhere, right. And some of the right. first projects I did in the web were, you know, were pro bono and, and, you know, were not interesting at all. And I, not just because web trends were ugly 10 years ago, but just because genuinely looking back and feeling like that's almost, you know, I'd probably be embarrassed to show anybody that work. But what it speaks to is you over time make that investment, you build those skills, you build those relationships. And maybe I'm just being repetitive, but trying to think that there's like some shortcut that I'm keeping to myself where I just, I knew the person to call and now let me skip all the way to winning a, you know, making a Webby award winning site is just not how it went. Right, right. You know, it's just look, one of my last guests was uh, Mason James of Valet. Mm -hmm. And we had a great conversation talking about sort of how... Maybe his business is shifting with the market where, you know, maybe he's not all in on WordPress anymore. If 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 somebody comes to him with a, a well-built Drupal site, you know, he might, you know, with with all the stars aligning, he might, you know, take that under their under their portfolio and support that customer. He also might start branching out and doing more uh, creative work, uh, not just for the web, but maybe in some kind of marketing branding fashion. I'm looking at how fast uh, the, uh, an agency like VaynerMedia, which is run by Gary Vaynerchuk. If people don't know him, he's sort of like this really loud talking head. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. you, you could you could maybe take him in small doses every every now and again to listen to him every day might be uh, it might be <laughs> might, might be a little bit of an overload. Um, mm -hmm. But I'm just looking at sort of how fast his business is scaling, and it's all sort of like this. Well, at least from the outside, this sort of content marketing, branding, creativeness. I don't hear much tech stuff going on there. From where you're sitting, which is 
uh, a little bit hot, not a little bit, but a lot higher than a lot of us in the agency world, um, in the WordPress agency world. What does the market look like for you? Are you starting to sort of evolve ten up to something that's more than just sort of WordPress development? Is it already there and we're just not sort of digesting it that way? Uh, in the parallels of like these large thousand-person agencies like a VaynerMedia, um, what does that look like? Yeah, that's a good question. So I think there's there's a lot to unpack in there. So one thing about 10up which has been true for several years even before this year we did a little bit of a refresh on our brand and our messaging is we don't unless, unless it happens to be like in a recent blog post we don't say wordpress on our front page we don't like we we cringe even a little bit when we hear people say it's a wordpress company we like it there's benefits to it right we like the notion that uh you know we're thought of as a leader in a particular niche in space as opposed to just being in a huge pool but the truth is we think of ourselves as a company that's focused on designing, implementing, building content, you know, so, you know, solutions on the web that require some element of content management or content creation. And we think WordPress is our tool of choice and we're very invested in it and our tool of choice. It's a little bit, I sort of analogize it to like if you want to hire, uh, you know, a construction company and you call them like a craftsman shop. Right. Like the tool, the thing that they use to do their job shouldn't be the primary way that they're identified. Right. Um, shouldn't be the primary way that, that their their craft is thought of, even if they really do invest in, in a preferred tool. So I would say 10up yearns to be, strives to be known as something larger than sort of big fish in a small pond of, quote, WordPress companies. We think of ourselves as larger than that. We do lots of front-end work, design work, UX work, ad strategy work, general web strategy work that has nothing, that is essentially agnostic to the platform. Um, at the same time, uh, you know, and so I think that is part of our strategy. I think that's that should be part of any growing company strategy for a few reasons. The one reason is, you know, knock on wood, I hope WordPress lasts for decades as a leading position. But the truth is platforms change, right? You, I would doubt if in 50 or 60 years, if there is a WordPress that it looks anything like it looks like today uh, as a major market force. So it's a little bit of sort of thinking forward about what are the things that are more durable. General design, strategy, consulting, tech, web technologies is more durable than a specific platform. And it's also because, and I think it speaks to why somebody, a business like Gary's can grow so fast. The other challenge there is, I'm trying to think how to say this, but at some level being known for a technical craft like implementation of a specific platform can become a zero-sum game in the sense that you want to prove that you can leap over a hurdle of do it do it very well in ways that are secure, reliable, scalable. But that, that's ultimately a threshold question, right? It's ultimately a logic question for people evaluating you, looking at your price point, asking themselves, are they good enough? Do I have enough confidence in their ability to do these technical things, to work with this tool in a way that are reliable? Things like strategy, business development, branding, design are much more emotional. There's much more of a spectrum of, you know, art can cost a dollar, art can cost a million dollars, right? Or $10 million. And I think when you have a strategy that builds an emotional connection to a prospect or a client, rather than a sort of fairly binary, can you do this one tool thing well, you have a lot, there's a lot more potential. Uh, you know, and growth and upside. You can show somebody a design that's agnostic to a CMS and have them say, my God, whatever the price, I want that. That's what's right for my business. That's what's going to grow my business. At some point, it's hard to do that if you're just really good implementers of a specific piece of software. Um, I feel like I'm starting to get into rambling territory. But, well, no, but, but, but you actually, that's a perfect point to just come back with another question where that is, how, at what point do you, did, maybe did you learn it? At what point can somebody be self-aware to understand that they're speaking the wrong language? Is it simply that their business isn't growing or clients are saying no? At like what point can somebody say, you know what, I'm done talking the tech geek stuff like the WordPress and the REST API and all this stuff. And I am going to position, you know, my solution and my relationship with a customer as the most important piece to all of this. I mean, is there... A turning point for somebody was there a turning point for you that you can pull from where you said you know what that's how i'm going to do this that's the lesson that i've learned so i think for uh i'll stick with maybe the 
the, the easier or the lazier question, which is what should everybody else except me do? Um, and, and when did I learn it? Um, so I think, um, I do think you're right that at the end of the day, somebody can be forced to make that change by realizing that their business is not succeeding, that they're not making what they need to make. And then I think that triggers what can be very difficult soul searching uh, for some people, or hopefully they'll listen to a podcast like yours and, and, and have some good epiphanies and, 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 and realize how they need to change. It can come from a coach or a mentor. I think there's a lot of places where that can come from. Um, I mm. think some people, I do think depend, you know, some, you know, I don't know. It's hard to generalize, right? Some entrepreneurs, sure. and that's not my style. For some entrepreneurs, it's they're very much into like the coaching and the, the thought groups, and they need to hear it from somebody else. They need a coach to come in and tell them you need to change what you're doing, and here's how. They they sort of want that. They secretly want that. You know, entrepreneurs have secretly want that boss uh, to tell them what the magic sauce is uh, and what the secret is. For others, it come you know probably more my style. It's more introspection and reading and and thinking hard about your strategy and and, and how you change the market. Um, I guess I'm not sure that I have a very clear, crisp answer for what it takes somebody else to make that change. Some people, it's sure. also not in them. Some people can yeah. be happy their entire lives, just you know, having an ebb and flow for them individually of revenue based on uh, just being a great engineer. Yeah, uh, no, I mean, it, more than one way to skin the cat, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, what about internally for the team? How 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 does it look? And and maybe and maybe you don't have an answer for this one, but. Uh, how does it look for you and sort of your management team and your and team leaders to sort of stay all uh, all stay accountable to one another and not in like a you know are you punching the clock kind of accountability but you know hey you've had these aspirations for you know maybe launching a new product within 10 up or maybe you had an asp- a salesperson had an aspiration to go after a big client that maybe you didn't think they were really going to get uh, right out of the gate but how do you keep that encouragement or that encounter- accountability sort of all flowing nicely within within the team or at least at the upper upper scales of the team sure so i think um it's a great question and it's not a black and white question um i think that uh Part of so we have both systems that we use to I think give people that accountability and give people that autonomy. Uh, we also I think are not shy about having you know having hard conversations, having vigorous conversations uh, when we think somebody's off base. A lot of it just comes from being as a owner, as the you know as a boss, just being very transparent with people and not being afraid to sit down and have a hard conversation with an agenda that says, here are ways in which I think we're struggling. And I think we need to evaluate whether this is continuing to work or it's continue, you know, how we get back on track or whether, whether we're too far away to get back on track. Um, I think some people, maybe I'm going off on a bit of a tangent, but I think in many companies and many businesses, leadership or not leadership, people can confuse hard conversations with with aggressive or confrontational conversations, which causes a lot of avoidance of mm. hard conversations. There is a sort of like art as you as one matures in their position as a leader within a business or in any role where you have to learn how to have an uncomfortable or a hard or a difficult conversation without it feeling personal and without it feeling confrontational. Um, so I think that's part of it. At Ten Up, very specifically, we have for every director, every leader in the company, we have uh, six every six months. So first half of the year, second half of the year, targets um, for goals that they want to achieve, metrics and benchmarks that measure their success. We call them, you know, MBOs, management business objectives. And compensation is very tied to those management business objectives. So we have a reasonable and I think very fair set of base salaries, but a lot of like the full compensation package comes from achievement of specific management business objectives, all of which are tied to overall company profitability. So first of all, everybody has an incentive as well as flexibility. So we're not stuck with uh, you know an unhealthy set of compensation packages in a downturn. Everybody at that leadership level is heavily first and foremost incented to make the company as, uh, as, as profitable as possible. And then they have a very specific set of objectives underneath that, which, which speaks to how much of that how much of a share of that success they earn, which are very targeted at things like, you know, over the next six months, I'm going to achieve things like roll out the first version of this product or achieve these revenue goals or customer growth goals for a product, you know, or for some people that are a little bit, uh, I want to say it's a bit of a crass way of saying it, they're a little maybe lower on the totem pole of leadership, things that are very specific about things like employee engagement, 
customer satisfaction scores, uh, you know, uh, effective rate targets. Um, so I guess my, my, my short version of that answer is setting very specific goals that you measure and, and compensate against on a relatively short term and being comfortable having regular, you know, challenging, difficult, but respectful and not personal conversations uh, about how, you know, about how we're achieving those goals. We're talking to Jake Goldman of 10up.com, most well known actually for his blog, jakegoldman.me. <laughs> you and, have uh, to bring up the blog. <laughs> and if I check it out right now, the last post is uh, nearly two and a half years ago, August 14th, two thousand. And 14, and we are dissecting the agency life, um, starting an agency, growing an agency, and maybe even using these, uh, distilling some of these lessons down to uh, some freelancer lessons for those of you in the audience. Jake's team has recently launched a new product as well, um, and we're going to dive into that right now. So, Jake, how? Well, first, let's preface it with Elastic Press, ElasticPress.io. Why this? How did you get here? And how is it going? <laughs> All the simple questions. All the simple um, questions. Why so, not a why not a page builder, Jake? Why not a page builder? Why not a contact form? Because I because the beaver builder people live in my uh live in my hometown right now. Oh. And they 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 know where I live and would find me if I released the page if I released the page builder and I don't want to mess with those guys. Um the so I think the so the answer to why is I think every product, whether it's an open source tool or whether it's something we ultimately decide to, to charge for and provide a, a paid service for, uh, every tool at Ten uh, Up starts as a need that a client had. We we are not a product company in the sense that we scan the market for like a total gap that we are not already feeling or seeing in our customers, and then build the solution on that basis. We see challenges that our customers are facing. We see gaps in the market, gaps in solutions are determined to provide an answer to our customer. And sometimes we step back and say, you know what, this should be available to more than our, more than just our customers. This is more than a one-off kind of a thing uh, we can provide. So a good, highly performant search and querying experience, which I know is a bit of a mouthful, but I can elaborate on. Um, it has been, I think, a pain point a, a particular pain point for a certain a certain uh, certain profile of customer using WordPress, a certain profile of customer in the enterprise or with very high end requirements around search or filtering for a long time. Fact mm -hmm. is, WordPress is built on MySQL, which is a, of course an open source, more traditional, you know, a relational uh, database engine. If you you know, if you follow the growth in platforms like Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn and, and any sort of social network or platform or, or you know, high volume tool uh, search platforms, you'll know that rela traditional relational databases don't scale. Um, they just don't perform well when you get up to that level of sophistication and that level of users. So there's been an emergence of a technology, uh, sort of NoSQL technologies, um, of which Elasticsearch, which is a open source NoSQL uh, indexing. Uh, tool is one. So Elasticsearch has been popular for a number of years. There are other extensions. There have been other extensions that plug into Elasticsearch for for a long time. We came in first with a plugin because we felt the plugins that were out there that connected to appliances like Elasticsearch were lacking. So we we built a plugin over time that made it really easy for a WordPress developer to talk to without learning a whole new querying language to be able to talk to a platform that scales better for search, that scales scare, yeah, scales better for complex querying, like Elasticsearch. What we found as we built that plugin was a, number, was a few things, one of which was to really make this work well and work smoothly for many of our customers' exp ex, you know, expectations, we really needed to manage both ends, both the integration in WordPress, the plugin, but also the setup and hosting of the environment in the same way that companies like Pagely and WP Engine and Automatic and Pantheon and on and on have set up very customized WordPress hosting because they know it's not getting WordPress to run very well is not as simple as finding a generic, you know, Apache, PHP, MySQL host and just setting up the software uh, out of the box. Same deal with, same deal with Elasticsearch. So to try to maybe sh uh, shorten the answer, 
So we wanted to provide a hosted experience. We set up a hosted version of Elasticsearch that we configured, that we make sure worked harmoniously and seamlessly with our plugin, took care of managing upgrades to both the plugin and the Elasticsearch, started rather than billing our customers hourly for managing that hosting, managing that Elasticsearch setup, made it easier for them and frankly cheaper for them by turning it into a product model where we were charging our customers a monthly fee to handle all of the management for them where they don't have to worry about variable pricing, they don't have to worry about an hourly services invoice, there are economies of scale benefits to multiple customers using the same platform. And then decided like this is working very well for our customers, we see a bit of a gap in the broader ecosystem, let's open this up even if we don't get more than a handful of high-end customers, let's open this up for others to get in. Uh, so, and by the way, maybe maybe make it a little bit easier to explain to our customers in terms of having a website and a sort of online marketing brochure about it. Sure. Uh, and I want to dive into, the, into that and the positioning and, and who the right uh, client is for the product. But going back into uh, looking at one of my blog posts that or episodes that I put out with you, for, uh, again, almost two and a half, three years ago, uh, you know, we looked at back then as a product called SEO Slides, a product called... Mm-hmm. Uh, push push up um, that yep. that you were uh, producing at the time. How are those products today? What lessons have you learned from launching those products, and maybe some other products that I've maybe have just missed on the radar since then? Yeah, so those are the only two. If we're talking about like paid uh, products, yep, those are the only two that Hennep has released in the past. Um, push up continues uh, continues today. We have, I would say, a modest amount of revenue. Uh, sort of barely covers its costs. Uh, month over month, um, slow, slow trickle of customers at this point, but some high-end 10 up customers that rely on it and really like using it um, and it's sort of the bread and butter of the product. I would say there was a couple things that have happened that sort of shifted the way we thought about push-up. One of which was uh, we were really, you know, I think in part optimistic about sort of how that technology would proliferate to and standardize across other browsers particularly on iOS and mobile, that never happened. And so I think the sort of real long-term market upside we saw, we've had to reevaluate how, how we've had to reevaluate. I think the other thing that, you know, the other thing we took away, I think, from push-up is 10-up can maybe sort of scrape by, break even with this model, but we're really a company that understands the more premium end of support, more premium end of buyer more premium experience through our agency services in trying to provide a very, you know, a a product that can serve the enterprise, but is also targeted at consumers and people that are spending a one-time fee of $15 and don't have much audience or people that are spending maybe $10 or $15 a month is a little bit in terms of long-term trajectory investment is a little bit at odds with the way Tenup likes to think about support and service and I think where we fit best uh, in the marketplace. I wouldn't, so I guess I wouldn't call it a failure in the sense that we're breaking even. We continue to sort of support the product and welcome some new customers, but I also would be very candid that it's hardly an example of a smashing success uh, for 10up. I think as a result of both, uh, again, shifts in uh, where the sort of push notifications ecosystem went, uh, as well as a realization that providing some customers a $15 one-time service or a $5 or $10 or $20 a month service isn't a great fit for how we think of our place in the market. Um, Let's, let, let me just unpack the the risk factor in creating products like this, especially those that sort of rely on these uh, these upward trends that we're just, you know, at the at the end of the day, we're just, you know, throwing a dart against, I mean, for the most part, <laughs> just throwing a dart against, against the board and hoping we're hitting bullseye uh, with the trend of maybe push notifications across browsers and stuff like that. I know for myself, for my own product conductor, launching it two and a half years ago, I was all in on the WordPress customizer, right? And I was like, this is, you know, the WordPress customizer is going to be here tomorrow. It's going to be amazing. People are going to be building their websites through WordPress's native customizer. And not until, you know, this month or the, the last 60 days have we finally seen sketches uh, of maybe the customizer in a more traditional page builder uh, context. So I certainly know about these moving targets of hoping for an upswing in the market, but, but I mean, is there a better science to it now? I mean, with elastic press, did you gauge this, uh, slightly differently or is it just a, an altogether a different market? You're not really worried about an upswing of, you know, elastic press usage, I guess, maybe for lack of a better word. I think, I think the difference for elastic press is, 
there's a few differences. One is the ElasticPress plugin that we've built. We are absolutely committed to see a use for, for our customers, for the market in ways that we want to contribute, regardless of whether ElasticPress.io hosting exists forever or not, right? So we're very committed to this plugin, to this open source module, irrespective of the, the hosting uh, side of the equation. So acknowledging that as having a business case outside of the hosting, I think is part of it. I think another part of it is for the price point that we're charging, we're very comfortable with the idea that this does not have to have a lot of customers to be successful. We're very comfortable with the idea that anywhere from a dozen to if we get hundreds of customers to if in some, I think, you know, unlikely scenario, uh, we had thousands and thousands of customers that we can see a model for this plug for this uh, uh, platform, this hosted service to work. We feel like with the commitment that we're making to the open source plugin, if we have a handful of people paying $2.99 or, you know, or $9.99 a month, we can give them the kind of experience that they want without having to worry about a economies of scale problem in the way that we would have to with push-up where one customer paying $5 a month doesn't doesn't cover it, right? Doesn't right, get the job right. done. Right. Um, Is there a difference? Are you going to engage with a different sort of maybe marketing strategy or maybe an outward sales strategy, outbound sales strategy for this, this type of product being a, a more premium price point? Yeah, I think the way to think about it, and I think so, I think we're still in the sort of early stages of figuring out exactly what we, you know, how ambitiously we want to publicly you know, have marketing campaigns. We're investing a little bit in sort of the traditional sort of like, you know, buying some ads or targeted keywords, seeing if we can generate some interests for sort of low-hanging fruit, just sort of early experiments to see whether that pays uh, pays dividends or not. Ultimately, I think the way to think about ElasticPress.io in its early stages is with the customers we have today, with the many future 10 up customers, some of whom we're talking to today, who will value this service, see it as a valuable add-on that we provide, for our consulting and our agency services, we would be, you know, I feel like I'm maybe setting a too low of a bar here, but frankly, we would be okay and happy with the success of this product. The product would be viable for us. The product would continue to be a uh, modest moneymaker for us. We could continue to support its incremental development just with a strategy of 10 up customers, you know, 10 up customers that are adapting this product for the long term. And there's a little bit of like, and if we can find an audience in a market of people that will discover 10up or discover Elastic Press independently of us and to see a good use for this for this service, icing may be underselling it a little bit, but to overstate for effect, you could think of it as icing. Mm. It's, there's a little bit of like a, we know this product works for our customers. That's where it came from. Its origin is, it serves a need for many of our customers. We have many customers paying for it. We have future customers who, you know, and customers we're talking to now who see that we have this offering, this solution as a big value add, a big differentiator for 10up. We're happy with that. And we want to open it up because we do think that there are other customers who may see value in it, may find us, may discover it of their own accord with a little bit of light marketing. That would be great, but it's not essential for its survival and viability. A few years ago, we chatted at PrestigeConf, um, and we sort of just had a you know, sort of in passing discussion about you know the product space in general in terms of back then two two and a half years ago maybe three about WordPress products and them being sort of uh, a viable business right can can we really build a big business with with uh, WordPress products and again like fast forward three years to today. Uh, you know, iThemes is obviously still here and rocking and rolling. Studio Press, um, or I should say, Copy Blogger Media with Rainmaker and, and their new Studio Press sites and themes and stuff like that. Of course, rocking and, and Vado is a as a massive marketplace, uh, obviously doing real well. And there's maybe a handful of others uh, in there that I'm that I'm forgetting. But I mean, are you still looking at? Or I guess I should say, are you still not bullish on WordPress products? I mean, do you still think that? something else has to happen to make really big business for a WordPress product. I would say that I remain, and I want to calibrate this a little bit. So let me start with the simple, I'll start this time with a simple one and then elaborate a little bit. I remain bearish on WordPress plugins and themes. 
as a vehicle for a building a larger business. Got it. To be clear, I think you can build <laughs> some nice lifestyle, small businesses built on a beautiful set of themes, built on really well-crafted plugins and modules. And it's clear people are doing that. Like I have absolutely no doubt if you come in with a, a good marketing partnership plan, the right quality and a differentiation in the market that you can come in and and start a business and do reasonably well for yourself with a plugin or a, or, or a set of themes. I don't see any of those businesses becoming, you know, large 50 plus 100 plus person companies. Got it. Maybe I lack imagination. Maybe somebody <laughs> will prove me wrong, but I don't I don't really see that. I kind of feel like I kind of well, feel I think, like I think the, the argument would I think the argument would be sorry to cut you off would be something like yeah. an Instagram where there was maybe what a 10 11 12 people working on I mean again I understand not the same context but in terms of team size versus re, uh what the company sold for I almost said revenue because I don't think they were making any money uh, right. but I think they right. were like 12 people a uh, billion dollars or something like that um I mean I, I guess could somebody make a unicorn in the WordPress space at, with a small team uh, or, or not measure uh, big business by surely just the uh, the amount of people that they have hired. Right. So I guess when I'm talking about sort of like size of business, you're right. There's a little bit of a conflation there between sort of revenue and, 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 and margin and team size. Although I don't, you know, even if you look at like Facebook, even automatic these days, I don't know many companies that earn that much revenue and ultimately stay 15 people. I think right, looking at right. the Instagram, it wasn't really revenue, right? It was a yeah. acquisition opportunity. Even that was sort of, you know, to this day, sort of, I think we kind of laugh at it, right? It's sort of an extreme example. Yeah. I don't think there's a billion dollar WordPress plugin waiting to be invented. Yeah, me either. <laughs> I could be wrong. I hope I'm wrong, but I don't do that. Now, I do think I am, you know, I I am, I do think there are opportunities in the WordPress space to build, uh, maybe I don't even want to restart that sentence, but I do think there are service opportunities or hosted service platform opportunities in the in that intersect with the WordPress space that can become large businesses. I think I think frankly, as most of the industry does, right, outside of WordPress and technology at large, and the industry at large, I think the industry sees the money in software as a service, right? There's a reason Microsoft, Adobe, and everybody in the world is switching to a recurring hosted services model. Uh, even uh, even Apple's largest revenue growth area is their ongoing hosted services, not their standalone software products, which they mostly give away for free now. Um, you know, or, you know, obviously their hardware is the lion's share of their revenue, but it's not the, it's not the growing one. Mm -hmm. Um, so I do think something like a hosted end-to-end -end service like Elastic Press, I do think there are even spaces for, for some of the hosts in the WordPress business to get larger and, you know, uh, you know, and add more volume. I think there are lots of opportunities for recurring revenue models that provide a consistent backend service that extends what WordPress does with some integrations to build large businesses and build very successful businesses. And I think there is also a space again for small to medium businesses to have success with plugins and themes. I just don't think there there's a there's a rocket ship there. One of the things you mentioned or one of the statements you had earlier was we might not know uh, WordPress as we know it 10, five years, 10 years from now. Um, I hear, I've been hearing that on repeat with a lot of sort of uh, thought leaders in our space talking about WordPress. So, and, and you've just brought up again, one of my secret little, uh, you know, things that I like to sort of follow and just really, uh, just really break down as I see things shift, which is WordPress hosts. So how will WordPress change over the years? Like what is it inside of you that thinks WordPress will be different five, eight, 10 years from now? And where is that going to come from? Is that going to come from our you know, REST API and the technologies that we're building into WordPress? Or is it going to come from innovation at hosting companies and these sort of flavors of WordPress as they roll out their own experiences of WordPress? How will WordPress look different or how will WordPress look differently five to 10 years from now? What will be the driving force behind that? Yeah, I'm, I'm not I'm not the best prognosticator of five to 10 years. I'm the guy that didn't think 10up would be a 100-person company uh, in, in five years. So I'm always a little bit cautious on the prognostication. I think that um, 
I do think it's almost like it's a cliche thing to say at this point, and it was a trendy thing to say, but I do continue to think, as I have thought for years, that WordPress is going back to, I think, the last post I have on my blog, um, the last long post I have on my blog from three years ago. I, I do continue to think that WordPress's trajectory continues to be leaning into a content creation and storage engine for the web. And I do increasingly think that things like front ends, how you access and display that content, particularly on the on the consumer facing side, not necessarily the publisher facing side, will have to continue to evolve over time to keep pace with how that industry is changing, which things like the REST API are obviously critical components of. I think Matt Mullenweg has the exact right set of priorities for the next version of WordPress, which may be out a year from now, I guess, um, which may be, you know, or maybe it will take you know, be a little bit goofy here. Me, I'll take that five years, right? Um, so that's where it'll be in five years. But I think if you look at what he's projecting as the future of WordPress, I know I think feel very validated in terms of where I think the platform is going. In the sense that he's prioritizing REST API, which is to say, the way the a primary use case for WordPress is is going to involve how you get content in and out, but don't necessarily render it in WordPress. Mm. Right, So it's the storage and the management of the content, the REST API, and then a lot of emphasis on the experience of publishing and creating content, which is the sort of like, it's a, it is a platform for creating content, um, is a platform for going in and writing a story. The truth, I, I think, the truth is the reason people pick WordPress, the reason companies and businesses pick WordPress is because it has a lot of mindshare. It has a lot of familiarity for, uh, as far as products that are highly extensible and open, how to create and publish a story. There are other platforms out there that obviously have much more modern end-to-end slick experiences, but they inevitably run into problems of, uh, they inevitably run into a bunch of different problems, including things like, which I know you've talked about and I've talked about, ownership of content and control Mm -hmm. of the content. And where it goes, and degree of flexibility and customization. If you want to build that, you know, a not generic site, and want a developer to come in and make it look like something completely different, I still think WordPress is the tool that offers the best authoring publishing experience, with any sort of ecosystem around it uh, that makes it a viable, you know, option in terms of costs and developer community and developer ecosystem. Um, and how do you think, or who do you think is? going to i know i know it's a it's sort of a, a weird question and, and and the obvious is well it's going to be it's going to be the wordpress open source community and it's going to be automatic but i'm really curious to watch how hosting companies shape wordpress uh the brand of wordpress the experience of wordpress over the next let's say five years uh, only because they have so many eyeballs um, on their hosting platform they have so many customers and a lot of them are sort of crafting this new onboarding experience. They're sort of integrating their own hosted plugins, their own sort of air quotes, marketplace of plugins, suite of plugins, uh, which is really shaping the experience of a, a real consumer like Joe the blogger or Anne the, bar, uh, the blo- uh, blogger on what, they, uh, what WordPress means to them. Uh, I guess all of that is to say is I've just got a curious, watchful eye, not in a bad mm-hmm. way, but just a curious, watchful eye on how hosting companies are sort of shaping the experience of WordPress for the end user. I mean, do you see any of that uh, from where where you're flying or in the context of the, the dealings that you do with the enterprise space? Uh, any thoughts on how hosting companies might shape this experience of WordPress? It's a good question. So it's not really a new concept, right? If you publish on WordPress.com or if you use like their VIP service, there are differences. Right. Not huge ones, but well, actually in the case of just WordPress.com, there are some pretty huge differences. You can have almost a completely different publishing experience inside of there. Um, customers that use like the VIP service have always had a series of modules that and many, many of them have moved over to Jetpack, but a series of modules and add-ons that differentiated it. From standard, uh, from standard hosting, I guess I will say I am equally having a watchful eye on it. There are places where I think that innovation is extremely useful, which are more of backend integrations that are sort of seamlessly in, fold into the WordPress experience a little bit more behind the scenes. So, for example, 
you know, having using Elasticsearch or Solar instead of native WordPress search under the hood for your search results is great. That all that does is fix a pain point in WordPress that you can't have in the open source package and sort of obfuscate away solving something that's complex inside of it. I'm much more leery about things like building in a page builder or default forms plugin because I worry that it fragments the experience and the understanding of what WordPress is. Um, you know, in the same yeah. sense that like platforms, in the same sense that you have like Google creating pixels and stuff now because it's like what do consumers know what the Android experience is? Right. Right. When right. they move from phone to phone, are they startled that quote, quote unquote, Android is something completely different. Phone analogy, something I usually I'd sort of lean to is, you know, iOS is smooth, it's buttery. You you know, for the most part, don't have any problems with it. But that's because it's a closed, you know, it's just a closed uh, environment. It's all controlled by Apple. They get to set the tone. Whereas at least for the last ten years, Android has been, or maybe not that long, but whatever it's been, uh, Android has been this open platform where Samsung can do whatever they want, LG can do whatever they want, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and a very fragmented experience, which. Yes. Yeah, you know, it's it's this thing where it's sort of what WordPress feels like right now, right? So if we can't smooth that out, um, you know, uh, there's going to be a, a whole branding and adoption like, issue, I think, in the long term. Like as a consultant, to know that there are things like search or caching or even like things like making sure you have injected good metagraph tags, right, or XML sitemaps, things that are like everybody should be doing this on their site, but you can't do it out of the box in an open source package that a host just takes care of, which they have been doing for a long time, I think is great and eases the experience of using WordPress. Right. The notion that a customer could come to me one day and thinks that a popular page builder plugin is a native part of the WordPress experience and part and parcel of the thing that they want a consultant to implement, that starts to worry me. Right. Yeah. No, it's a great point. It's a great point. Uh, you know, I, I, I recently did a video on the Matt Report uh, YouTube channel talking about this because I've just been spending some time, uh, you know, not only is Beaver Builder a sponsor of next season, uh, but you're just spending some more time in that in that ecosystem, like Facebook groups and forums and just just seeing how people are using the software and just getting their mindset, just trying to really understand how people leverage this stuff. People are passionate uh, people look at these tools as enablers, right, for good. So they 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 see they can do things that they otherwise uh, would just be over their heads, like coding layouts or you know whatever. Uh, so they're they're really powerful tools. They they really grow their own community within a community, which is just amazing to witness. Um, but there's also some fear, right? A lot of these people are live in fear that they use these tools that make the job easier. You know, from the uh, organic developer like you should have just coded everything from scratch right you know <laughs> well every time i go out do i do i build my car every single time i, I go out to say oh you should have just built your car uh, from scratch every time you go to the mall or or hailed a horse and buggy uh you know that kind of thing uh, a lot of people are sort of also living with this fear this isn't really a question this is just more of a statement and a thought that comes out of all of this stuff that sometimes yeah. the ease of use thing the ease of use, people look at it in the WordPress world as, ooh, like you should have done it from, you should have done it with, you know, COBOL and, you know, built it that the way. Right, it's, just, it's just not fair. The right analogy isn't like, I don't think it's the car one. The right analogy is something like, to me, the right analogy is something like tax, doing your taxes. Right. There is absolutely a place for, which I used for many years before I started the business, for something like TurboTax, which is generic, probably not going to optimize everything around the edges, but gets the job done for somebody that doesn't want to spend a lot on their taxes and makes it more accessible and gets more people into actually getting their taxes done on time. That's fantastic. But there's also a place where as you move up market where it's not the right answer, it's not the economical choice, it's not the best solution. Right. If you need something more custom, if you have more complicated business dealings where there is still a place for somebody doing it bespoke for you, like and then paying, giving very close customized attention to like a tax accountant, right? Which means that that market, you know, changes over time. I think that where it can become, where I think people like me become nervous is when you have, if I think if I was to go to my accountant today or even 10 up three years ago and say, I think I can just do this with TurboTax, I think he would be scared out of his mind for a good reason. <laughs> right. Right. About right. what the heck I'm doing. Right. And I think what concerns me is not that there are some people building their first website, throwing up a quick restaurant website that is not, they're not going to spend a lot of money, don't have complex needs that are looking for a simple off the shelf uh, solution. And I think that's, that's, that's fantastic. I think what worries me, what worries me is when, 
is if you try to create the illusion that something that has a higher end need, something that does need to be more crafted, something that needs to deal with performance um, and all the things that are involved in SEO today and all the things that are involved in creating a really smooth, clean, intuitive experience where those audiences start to think there's just a front page like thing where I can do this myself. That's where I start to squirm. And I, I genuinely don't think because I would be the first to adopt page builders, just like the first guy that, you know, just like I was in the front of the line to adopt WordPress instead of custom coding every page of your site. I'd be the first in line if I thought like page builders were the were in, even close to at a point or the technology is even close to a point where it was right for a higher end customer. Um, I just don't, th- I genuinely don't think that it's the right solution for the market today. And we have tried to build, you know, content block management tools, not with the intention of like selling them for some of our customers trying to figure out like, is there repetitious is there repetition here? Are there places where you can, where you can consolidate some of these solutions into one? And there's some overlap. There's some frameworks and tools you can put together, but like a completely off the shelf, here's how you're going to, here is how you, customer A, who's different than customer B, is going to build your homepage. I just don't think it works for the, for a customer at a certain high-end expectation. Well, good, the good news is Conductor's on GitHub now, Jake, so you can go ahead and download that bad boy <laughs> <laughs> and fork it that way. Thanks for letting me have that open plug at the end. Uh, this has been an amazing episode with my good friend, Jake Goldman. Jake, where can folks find you on the web to say thanks? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at uh, Jake M. Gold, J-A-K-E-M-G-O-L-D. Um, tenup.com is your best place to figure out sort of what I'm working on, what's in my headspace, its blog, uh, our portfolio, um, and also following Tenup on Twitter, uh, Tenup. If you want to wait another two and a half years, you can, you can watch my blog. <laughs> I, I heard, I actually heard that you, that you blog more on LinkedIn now, actually. You're putting all your content on LinkedIn. That's, uh, where all of your content's going these days. Uh, thanks everybody I, for listening. I, if by content you mean like one word, one sentence posts, sure. Right, yeah. <laughs> uh, thanks everybody for listening. It's mattreport.com slash subscribe. It's the best way to stay connected. And uh, Matt Report on iTunes. In fact, I've been playing with some SEO stuff. If you just search for WordPress podcast, I come up uh, and go ahead. And if you enjoyed episodes like this, leave a five-star review. It's greatly appreciated.